on today's Golazzo. Adriano! Did you see that? He must have a foot like a traction engine! Yes, his left foot defied logic and so did his career. Adriano Lecce Ribeiro, the story of Il Imperatore. Also, Cagliari's Ken Mutiny and Spalletti has Icardi on the rocks once more. Gabriele Marcotti gives his measured response to the intercrisis in this Golazzo. Golazzo! Here today for Golazzo, we have James Horncarto. Hello, James. Buongiorno, Gabriele Marcotti. Buongiorno. And hello, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. What's up, Zlatan? I mean, I played with great champions. I played with players that already was wow. I played with players that I saw was a talent, became wow. But the one I felt that could do it longer was, and he didn't do it, was Adriano. The way he was, he was an animal. He could shoot from every angle. Nobody could tackle him. Nobody could take the ball. He was a pure animal. But it lasted for a short time. So why well, it's a shame that it lasted so short time only. Yep. When Zlatan says you're the best, you must be pretty special. Adriano Lecce Ribeiro. Gabriele Marcotti into a club whose history is built on regrets and missed opportunities. Adriano must must rank <laughs> as right up there at the top. Yeah, I sense a theme there, and of course maybe Mauricardi will end up down the same path. That was quite funny, actually, Gab, because Adriano was in Italy a few months ago, did some TV, and he said, wow, just imagine me up front with Mario Cardi. <laughs> just imagine. <laughs> with Alvaro Ricorba setting him up. Adriano Muto coming off the bat. Yeah, let's, 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 not, let's not go there. Let's not, let's not go there. But what Slatan said, and, and we can mock, you know, we shouldn't because he is Slatan and we're not. When he came up and was sort of anointed as the heir apparent to the original Ronaldo or Phenomeno, I remember the thinking was, well, yeah, Ronaldo's great and all, but Adriano's two-footed right? and he's bigger. And obviously he hasn't been injured yet. But it was it was sort of that, that thinking about how he could actually go and, and become even greater. I think it might have even been Lippi who made that. Who made oh, really? that, that, that comparison? A player who, as it turned out, gave us only glimpses of his talent, but even those make him one of the all-time greats. Because he had everything, I think, in terms of power, coordination as well. Um, to look at, he looks like quite a heavily built player, I suppose, and yet he was—he seemed to be very agile, be able to carry the ball from inside his own half. Maybe not have the kind of same grace that Ronaldo had, but yeah, in terms of that shot, which we'll get to. 125 kilometers an hour. <laughs> so which, which one? The Real Madrid one? No, there's one where he hits the bar against Palermo. Did you oh. see this? And it, it hits the bar true, and the ball comes all the way back outside the box. Wow. wow. He hits it so hard. 99 on, on Pro Evo. Yeah. 9 out of 100 is, is left foot. <laughs> the weird thing was that Inter signed him almost by chance. He'd grown up in uh, this Carioca favela, um, Villa Cruzeiro, and had become a, a sensation at Flamengo. But as I understand it, basically Inter had... Do you remember Vampeta? Yeah. They brought yes. another Brazilian star, Vampeta. With, with the incredible moustache. That's the one. I get a little bit of the Freddie Mercury in him with the moustache. And- well, he was voted the sexiest player in Brazil by Brazilian gay community. Well, that was the thing. And he totally embraced it. 
he he ended up like he, he posed, doing, did he not on yeah, a he, magazine? He yeah, posed yeah. with like the sort of the the, the the skimpiest of of speedos, and and he's like, you know, I don't I don't care who appreciates me, like you know, the more the merrier, and and then he comes to Inter, of course, and turns out to be absolutely terrible. And like wrong man, wrong place. But yeah, he played one game, and then they they loaned him out to Paris Saint Germain with this kind of Italian arrangement of having a half share in him still. So when Paris Saint Germain decided that that didn't work, they sent him back to Brazil, and they got for their half share Reinaldo or Reinaldo, and Inter got for their half share of him from Flamengo. They got this young kid called Adriano who'd been making a name for himself, but there are so many young Brazilian forwards who are going to be the next sensation. So I don't think anybody really thought too much of it until he was brought on late on in a pre-season friendly in Madrid. The Bernabeu Trophy, a sort of curtain raiser, and as you mentioned, James, he comes on and that he wins this free kick on the edge of the penalty area. And I think that's what gives him the kind of authority to say, I'm gonna, I've earned the right to take this. Because they had some other free kick specialists. Do you want to name some, James? Oh, well, they had Ronaldo. <laughs> uh, they had uh, Vieri, Ricorba. Of course, they're facing a Real Madrid team that featured Raul, Zidane, Figo, Roberto Carlos, all standing around watching as this 19-year-old steps up. And this really set the tone, I think, for his his short career, if you like, in that he he just leathers it and it goes top corner. And I think if the goalkeeper, Ike Casillas, was to get anything on it, it would break because he hits it so hard. Parte Adriano, sinistro gol, incredibile, il sinistro del 19enne brasiliano. Tutti, compagni, increduli per questa botta incredibile, un fulmine. A lightning bolt. And the, the <laughs> 140 kilometers an hour, according to the commentary on, on that one. I mean, the, the the thing about him hitting the ball so hard is is obviously you've you've had other players historically who obviously hit the ball extremely hard. He's a big dude with big muscles. But I remember, and you often see these things. Some like sort of biomechanics dude at some university in search of publicity in Belgium or somewhere. Yeah, and usually. Yeah, actually sort of broke down the way he struck the ball. And he said that he hits it in such a way that it's kind of the, the, the truest, most natural way to the point that, like, he achieves, like, you know, 92% of the potential of his physical muscle. The speed of his leg coupled with the power, coupled with sort of this perfect coordination that he has. And the other remarkable thing is he's not just a guy who just whacked the cover off the ball. He also had delicate touches. There were also some pretty nice chips and stuff mixed mm. in there. And, of course, the man was a giant. I mean, he was Slatan before Slatan. Inter, anyway, have discovered a real phenomenon on the, on the hand, or a new phenomenon on their hands. So what do they do? Give him a place in the starting lineup, Gab? <laughs> no. <laughs> to be honest, James, they did still have Ronaldo and Vieri at that point. So they send him to Fiorentina. They don't just send him to Fiorentina. They send him to... and. Feel free to go and refer back to the Cechi Gori episode. They sent him to bankrupt laughingstock Fiorentina, who have had to sell everybody. They don't have anybody. Roberto Mancini is the manager, and you know, sort of out of out of desperation, he's like, "All right, I literally need two bodies because I don't have any players." So they get the magical Spadino Robbiati, and they get Adriano. Right. And he scores this goal, James, against Milan which obviously Moratti's watching. He's like, oh, we have to bring this kid back. And 
again, you see the physical strength of the guy because Billy Costa Goethe just bounces off him, like literally bounces off him, like maybe two feet. It's like he's hit a, a rubber wall or something and he just drills it in. And he comes back and you think he's going to be in the team, but no, he's on his way again. And this is fantastic because he goes to Parma where he establishes this partnership with the with another Adrian, Adrian Mutu. Mm. And uh, what a duo they were. There's a great photo of them in Teatro Reggio in uh, in Parma uh, with their sort of champion Parma shirts on, blue and yellow. That was the, the last great Parma season and, you know, until they, they returned. They, Prandelli, the manager said, Prandelli. best player I've ever coached. Really? In terms Come of on. talent, yeah. That was the last great Adrian Mutu. And it is amazing because Adrian Mutu, I think, one of the most remarkable characters in the history of Serie A. Great rapper this, as well. I think he's been in a rap with Snoop. Adrian Mutu. In a video, at least. Yeah. Seriously. Check it out on YouTube. Yeah. But the other Adriano, anyway, powering, with Mutu's help, Palmer to an extraordinary fifth-place finish, almost getting into the Champions League that season, missing out to Lazio by four points. Unfortunately, Palmer are also now going bankrupt. I think they're about $300 million in debt, thanks to the efforts of the, the Tansies. I think it's midway through the following season that he's recalled once again to Inter, and this time it does work out. And he's recalled... James, because Ronaldo has left for Real Madrid. There's this spot for him. And uh, his first game, San Siro, in his second spell, is uh, against Venezia, I think. And they, they're drawing 1-1. It gets into stoppage time. And who comes up with the winner? It's Adriano himself. He was yeah, almost instantly named the emperor you know for, right uh, very much the uh, the heir to uh, ronaldo's throne right and he was built like a wall as yeah. well so six goals in the last six that season inter into the top four that summer inter aren't the only club who are kind of bereft of a ronaldo who who need to find a replacement because the selecao the brazilian national side also are looking to him to step up and lift what was not that year a vintage side it was a Brazil team that went to the Copa America that summer with the likes of Wagner Love, Cleberson. Former Manchester United star Cleberson. Cleberson was the only, I think, player left in that squad from the, the team that won the World Cup in 2002. So it was a completely sort of new team, as mm. you were mentioning. And uh, what a tournament Adriano has. I was not kind of aware of this at the time, maybe because it wasn't on TV or whatever. But looking back... I mean, talk about a player taking a tournament by the scruff of the neck and just dominating it. Hattrick against Costa Rica, brace against Mexico in the quarterfinals, scores in the semi against Uruguay, 1-1 draw, and then scores in the shootout, and then the final. Against Argentina. So this is the thing. I think a lot of people, I mean, me included, look back on Adriano's career and think, yeah, it's a story of could have been, but that was the summer when it, it really was, and the subsequent year at Inter. But that final against... Brazil's biggest rivals, Argentina. They're yeah, losing 2-1 going into the final minutes. And then, do you remember the goal that he scores to equalise? And this was a really strong Argentina side, uh, incidentally. And there's a ball into the box and he's got his back to goal and Colocini with his big hair and, and Sanetti with the, you know, the tractor are, are around him. And, and he somehow, and they're basically hanging all over him, and he somehow manages to sort of control it, flick it, somehow turn and I, at first I thought like wow he's so good at creating space then I realized he doesn't need to create space because you know he's he's the golem he just kind of turns and anybody in his circle gets flattened and he absolutely leathers the ball past the goalkeeper I think it might have been a back then but whoever it was 
uh, you sort of felt that if he'd gotten in the way, he would have gotten hurt. And again, this in the following season, very much his high points. He just seemed to be like a wrecking ball. There's a goal he scores for Palmer against Modena where the goalkeeper kicks it straight and Adriano chests it down. And he's got his back to go again, and he's maybe 30 yards out, chests it down, holds off the defender, spins the defender, then drives past another two defenders, and then just hits it not particularly cleanly, but again, powerfully enough that the goalkeeper just has no chance whatsoever. And the word unplayable is often bandied around, but I think in his case, there Mm -hmm. were days where there was nothing you could do as a defender, no matter how experienced, how talented you were in that league with the defenders that they had. Um, he could just brush you aside easily. I, I remember Alessandro Nesta talking about this is when Nesta was was in his palm, talking about how you you play against Adriano, and he said that the only the only shot you really have is to step in front and basically try to stop the ball arriving to him. Once he has the ball, unless you can double him straight away, you basically you're better off fouling him. You know, provided you're outside the box, obviously. He said, and even fouling him often isn't easy if he doesn't want to be fouled. <laughs> okay. Well, that summer in the uh, Coppa, he got the golden boot, seven goals in seven games. He was named player of the tournament. Just one month later, though, what, what had been a, a golden summer for him was to turn into a tragic one because back with Inter in the preseason, he receives this, this famous phone call informing him of the sudden death of his father. His father was only aged, I think, 44 and this hits Adriano unbelievably hard. There's quotes from Zanetti, who was with him at the time, and the Roma just, they're really touching about the way that Adriano just loses it. It just goes to pieces and throws his phone. They know that, you know, something is, is really broken at, at that point, and they do everything they can. The funny thing is that, as you mentioned, Gab, Adriano produces the best club season of his career straight after that 2004 5 for Inter, gets 28 goals in all competitions. Just some amazing games, particularly one against uh, Udinese on the 17th of October. Seven minutes in, he absolutely spanks a free kick in for, I don't know, 25 metres out. And then about five minutes later, he does something I mean, completely different and, and just as good. Basically doing the, you know, the classic Ronaldo or Maradona, the coast to coast. It's a glorious time in, in Italy. James, you're there for a start. Yeah. Blue are riding high in the charts with... Akemi Dice. Which is the Italian version of Breathe Easy. Breathe Easy, that's right. it, yeah. You knew that, Gab, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Exactly my kind of music. Okay. <laughs> that rendition by Blue. Right. Um, I, because I've moved out there, I thought this was completely normal, that big bands would just release some kind of Italian dubbed or attempt something in Italian. Right. Backstreet um, Boys. Backstreet Boys yeah. is phenomenal. I, I was hoping you would bring that up. Right. That is well worth checking out. So he's having this phenomenal season, but behind the scenes, it subsequently turns out, by his own admission, he's turning to alcohol in a massive way. He's missing his father. He's feeling unbelievably lonely, and he's drinking constantly all night anything he can 
lays hands on turning up to training drunk. They're having to invent all sorts of injuries for him because he's unable to go out and, and train with the rest of his, his teammates. There's no shortage of, of players who've, who've had similar problems, great talented players throughout history, and there's no shortage of people analysing why and you know what could have been done. But I mean, Inter, I felt at the time, they did seem to be trying to do everything they could with Zanetti and Moratti to, to give him the backup he needed. They did, and look, I think while I'm one of Moratti's harshest critics uh, over the years, and I think he did some damage, he did a lot of good things, and maybe it's not his fault, but he did some damage to the club, which is near irreparable, as we're seeing. One thing you can't fault him on is that he would bend over backwards for his players. He treated them like one of the family. Yeah, unless it was Beppe Bergomi, in which case he said, you know, <laughs> he's like the dog that you leave behind at the end of the summer, but whatever. Um, but with Adriano, they did bend over backwards. You know, they had people coming around his house. They had uh, uh, therapists available to him, but it obviously just didn't, didn't work out. He might have even said this, but he felt stifled. And it was extremely frustrating they couldn't reach. And he, this is perhaps the saddest part, is he realized he had a problem. Um, some people have suggested that, you know, he developed not just a psychological dependency, but a chemical dependency to the booze. And that obviously really, really affected him. Mm. Tim Vickery has an interesting analysis of this. He, he says that this is a player who basically had his hunger for success in, in football had been built around his desire to make his father happy and to make money, to you know, fight his way out of the favela. But his father was gone and he already had all the money that he could to spend. So effectively, his his motivations w were shot. In that season, James, you talk about where he scores 28 goals. He explains that in that he was on his own in Italy anyway. Mm. It was only when he went back to Brazil that it dawned on him that his father was no longer there. And so when he came back from the, the funeral, initially he was like, um, he felt his father was still a presence that he hadn't gone. And he was able to sort of live his life as he had. But it was only when obviously the season's over that he goes back to Brazil, sees his friends, and yeah, that loss really, really hits hard. Mm -hmm. um, 05, 06, I think, was really when the wheels started coming off. And I think he also suffered vis-a-vis -vis the Brazilian national team and the build-up to the World Cup, where Carlos Dunga is, is the manager. And while I think actually in Brazil, in, in some ways, more so than in Italy at the time, and most European countries, they actually have a bigger awareness of, 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 of psychology and sort of pastoral care and a player's emotional needs, actually, than, than elsewhere. Tunga is not the most warm and fuzzy guy, and people kind of took it for granted that he'd be fine. But obviously, he had other things going on. He has a drinking. He's still affected by his dad. And then, then I think, James, he, he has a split with the mother of his children. Yeah, um, he'd had two children with. And she was kind of his childhood sweetheart. She used to work in a, uh, I think, a clothes shop in a, a mall nearby. And he'd just go there every day and buy clothes until basically she would say yes to going out with him. So, again, this is one of those reminders that players are not robots. They're human beings. Things that go on in their personal lives have a massive bearing on performance, but also mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think in that case, Adriano really is an example. Yeah, I think a lot of people at Inter felt that the people around him didn't help and also the environment uh, as well. We talked about Moratti and the family there, but you had the party scene in Milan, which is pretty notorious. You have famous paparazzi sort of trying to exploit. He became involved in a court case where this guy Fabrizio Corona mm. had, um, had taken this photo of him 
where he was you know, asleep, looked like he was worse for wear uh, on a table with girls around him. Uh, you know, tried to blackmail him, essentially saying, look, we've got evidence of you doing drugs. And instead it was just a barbecue at his villa in Lake Como. And there was maybe some steaks on the table and there's some table salt there. And you can actually see the table salt. Um, and yeah, again, all those kind of pressures mm. that players come under. It was around this time also that in a rather sinister way, there were certain individuals and it's still not 100% clear on, on whose orders, although obviously there, there have been lawsuits and court cases. They became obsessed, as James says, about the, the party scene in Milan and they were actually effectively spying on the players. Obviously, Christian Vieri's one. The other obvious one who, as you can imagine, did not take it well also because of his personality was Roberto Mancini, the, the manager, to the point that, remember that there's a weird story with, what is it? His, Taylor? His Taylor, yeah. who, I, I think as the story went, his Taylor knew somebody who had bought drugs at some point mm. and Mancini's like talking to him and being like, well, when are you bringing the suits by and whatever. And, this and all this stuff gets out. leaked out. Just as he's about to be sacked by Inter and replaced by Jose Mourinho. Remember, he comes out after, was it the Liverpool game? And he says, I'm resigning. And then basically comes back and says, oh, I'm not resigning. And Inter kind of fall apart. And you get that final day against Parma where it looks like, well, Roma for an hour ahead of them. And then Ibra comes on in the rain and basically rescues them. And yeah, that's that... sort of Norse god. <laughs> exactly. It's not the best of environments. For all Inter's good intentions, it's not the best of environments. And they indeed decide that what Adriano needs is to go back home to Brazil. So they send him back. By the way, this is such an Inter move, right? <laughs> no, no, in the sense that we really care about him. Let's send you back home on loan. Oh, but Brazil's just all one place. So rather than sending you back to Rio, where you're actually from and... You know, even though your, your father's passed, you've got friends and a support network. No, no, no. Let's send you to Sao Paulo, which is an entirely different place. And, you know, it's, it's only, what, like an hour and a half flight? But right. But, but still, like, yeah. it is probably because Sao Paulo is probably going to kick in an extra $2,000 a month for the law. I mean, this epitomized the whole sort of, like, penny-wise, pound-foolish era of the Moratti era. Would you say that, that they were penny-pinching, Moratti's Inter? I, I don't understand, but if you care about him, and he, yeah. at, at the time he was still 27, 28 years old, yeah. and they were on the hook for him for a while. Like, send him to where you think is best. Well, maybe they felt that Rio wasn't the best environment either. Oh, he had so there's these... a halfway house. Let's send him to Sao Paulo, which is... <laughs> no, I, well, I, you know, I don't know James. why, but they were all sorts of tie-ins with uh, all the kind of, the, you know, the Commando Vermelho and that yeah. in the favela. And that's what I was kind of unaware of un right. until looking into this, was just how rough and notorious the favela he comes from is um, and you see when he goes back to Brazil he starts associating with people from his past people he grew up with and he's doing gang signs he's in a picture with guns where there's a guy with a gold plated AK-47 next to him I do like the story about him riding around on the back of uh, a motorcycle handing out uh, Big Macs to the kids in, in, in the favela. That's, <laughs> that's fantastic. I think he, he probably had a few Happy Meals himself. Possibly so. Well, 2008, anyway, he's back in Brazil, but at Sao Paulo. He does well enough, and he seems to be restored back in form. So Inter bring him back, and it's now Mourinho who's in charge at the Nerazzurri, and it doesn't work out between the two of them. Perhaps, not surprisingly, I'm not, not sure. It's also, I mean, we talked about how Adana could be unplayable and yeah. sort of unique. It's pretty evident that he just doesn't fit what Mourinho wants to do. 
also there's Slatan Ibrahimovic there. And if you remember that, Mourinho's first season, Inter, I think, played the worst football of any title-winning side in the history of the world. I mean, Mourinho's whole game plan that season was lump the ball to Ibra and wait for him to do something. Or plan B is give the ball to Mykon and have him run run diagonally up the pitch. Because, right? yeah, the then initial it's, plan it's all yeah, they did. let's give it to Koreshma. Oh, that yeah. did not go so well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they decide, December 2008, they allow Adriano to head off for his winter break because, you know, having the Sosta, the uh, the Christmas pause and the, the schedule. But they allow him to go a week early back to Rio and uh, he disappears. By the following April... They've still not seen him or heard from him. So they basically announce that they're going to dissolve his contract. He makes a move back to Flamengo this time, you know, in the club that he first broke through at in Rio and has another great season. Top scorer in the... Um, and they won the title. So yeah. I mean, he totally turned their season around. Just to go back to his childhood in this in this favela, there's the story about his his grandmother who would bake cakes, sell cakes, and then uh, with the money... It would buy a bus ticket so he could go training at Flamengo with his grandfather. And also to talk about the connection that he had with his father. Yeah, you know, He's you know, walking around the favela one day and his father gets hit by a stray bullet and obviously falls to the ground, pool of blood, and he's in a coma and is later revived but would always have this scar where he's got... I think they didn't remove all of the kind of shrapnel. Um, and again, just a reminder of the kind of, again, environment, the violence that he kind of grew up with, but also... As you mentioned with Tim Vickery, that goal of just uh, of not only making it but getting his getting his family out of there. It's so often the case you overlook these kind of details, mm. you know. But at the same time, coming out of that environment didn't seem to work either. Taking him out of what was an environment that he felt comfortable in. After Flamengo, he tries it again in Europe. He, com- he comes to Roma. And and you have this period where he's he's I mean it doesn't work out at Roma he goes to Corinthians then he gets Flamengo again then Atletico Paranaense and then Miami United five years in which he has I mean a handful of games he scores a couple of goals and then that's it there was a late bid to make a comeback at Lavra do you remember that yeah which doesn't work out he's only thirty seven I know it's amazing it feels like his his career came to an end when he was twenty four really when he had that 28-goal season that we mentioned at Inter. Well, he's now back in Brazil and, by all accounts, he's happy, which is great news. And even, as we say, with the problems that he faced, he did have an incredible career, particularly national side, 27 goals in 48 caps for the Selecao and a Confederations Cup as well as that Copa America. And, you know, the nice thing is, Gab, that you can still play with him. You can still give him the career that he deserves because... Pro Evo, for whom he was a legend, Pro Evo 06, anyone who's played that, all they do is talk about Adriano and his left foot, which was this famous 99 out of 100. This is some kind of video game. That's correct, yeah. Played on a video console. This was when Pro Evo was better than FIFA. Right, right. Well, they've lost ground on their rivals now. And in the 2019 version, he's one of the greats that you can bring back and and have in your team. Because he's the cover star of of Pro Evo as well. In 2006, alongside... John Terry. John Terry. (laughs) And if you're a Pro Evo nostalgist, have a bit of this. Adriano! He took it so well! This is a vital goal in a crucial point. Just before the end of the first period of extra time. That was the Emperor Adriano. And wishing him all the very best, whatever he's up to these days. In a second or two, 
We'll touch on some of the big stories from this week in Serie A, and there's certainly been plenty of them. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's been a busy week in Italy, Cab. Where do you want to start? With the racism? Yeah, let's start with the racism to depress us and then we'll, we'll kind of go back up mm. and cheer ourselves up with the uh, Icardi saga. <laughs> um, no, uh, this is really disconcerting, obviously, as, as, as we tape this. It only happened, happened last night. But Cagliari are playing Juventus in Cagliari and Moise Ken's up front. Now, I'm going to see what the world saw. Now, he was, he was racially abused, as we now know, throughout the game. Um, he was abused in general. He, he, he dove to try to win a penalty after about 20 minutes, and, and that created sort of some friction with the crowd. And from what we understand, there was audible racial abuse from, from a minority of the crowd, but still definitely audible. So then Leo Bonucci scores to make it 1-0 to Juve, and then towards the end, Ken scores the second goal to make it 2-0. And he goes to celebrate under the Cagliari Curva. By the way, say he goes to celebrate. People make a big deal. Oh, look, he went to celebrate. No, he took three steps to the side because it was that was the goal where, where he'd scored. You know, this isn't Paolo Di Cagno running 100, 100 yards to the other end. Adebayor. Um, or Adebayor, there you go. And he basically stands there and all he does is he puts his arms out to the side and he just stares for... I think it could have been no more than five or six seconds, but obviously in the context of football, it feels like an eternity. And that's when he gets some racial abuse from, again, a minority of the, of the Cagliari Ultras. What happens next, quite predictably, is you know the players run over and they, they try to pull him away. No problem with that whatsoever. Some of the Cagliari players, meanwhile, are motioning to the crowd yes. to, to, to cease. Cranio, the goalkeeper, and Gepitelli as well, who I think might have even been hit by a missile by yeah. one of his own fans too. To the obviously there's a lot of anger and tension. Blaise Matuidi gets very upset, asks the referee to stop the game. There's an announcement via the stadium loudspeaker. Referee judges possibly correctly, possibly not, that look, this is, you know, you can hear it if you're standing at that end. It's not audible in the rest of the stadium. Let's just get this game over with. For the rest of the game, every time uh, Matuidi and Ken uh, touch the ball, it starts up again. Again, only from this section. So you can write this off as sort of another horrendous, unfortunate incident and sort of advocate that they shut down this part of the crowd. But to me, what moves the story on and what was quite surprising was Leo Bonucci after the game, who was asked about this. And if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't realize that Ken was being abused earlier in the match, fair enough. Maybe Bonucci's at the back, Ken is at the front, whatever. Maybe Ken didn't tell him. But he said, well, obviously, you know, they were wrong to, to racially abuse them, and he was wrong, though, to provoke them, thinking that they only started doing it after, after he scored that goal. So let's say it's about 50-50. Yeah, he says the there blame was- is 50-50 because Kane should have been a little bit more contained yeah. and, and, and think about celebrating his goal with the team instead. Yeah. So, you know, the next logical conclusion to this is that, you know, when a woman in a short skirt is sexually harassed or assaulted, then the blame is clearly 50-50 there, There are too, good people on both world. sides. Yeah, exactly. Um, to make matters more absurd, the Cagliari president, Tommaso Giulini, who... And by the way, there, there is previous at Cagliari because Blaise Matuidi was, was abused there. Giulini apologized on that occasion to Matuidi. This was a year ago, I think. Yeah, I mean, Samuel has been abused there. Mario Balotelli has been abused there. Sulimantari walked off 
yeah. there. And then uh, the sporting justice, which you can you know, debate whether it's there, they, they say, well, we're not going to take any action because um, I, I seem to remember the argument that they made was it was less than 10% of the crowd and it has to almost has to exceed a certain percentage before they could take any kind of action, which is like, well, one person racially abusing someone is too much. When we're talking about sort of the, the disciplinary actions and what works, what doesn't work, what's utterly depressing is Giulini's response, which, like before, is all about, well, Cagliari's a tolerant city, we have a lot of diversity in history, blah, 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 the vast majority of the fans, I'm not going to allow you to go and, and tar us all with one brush. If Bernardeschi done that, he would have gotten the same reaction because you're provoking the fans. It's all misdirection. All Giulini has to say is, is frankly what Inter said after Koulibaly was, was racially abused, which is said, to the people who racially abuse our opponents, we don't want you here under any circumstances. This is not your club. This is not our values. If we catch you, you're not coming back inside the stadium. It's all the guy has to say. What's really disappointing about Giulini is he's an educated person. He's... 40 years old. He's not one of those dinosaurs from the past. Right. He's a guy who really should know better. Right. But I, I, and it's I, time I, for people to call him out. Call out Bonucci by all means, but don't let Giulini get away with it either. Giulini and Maran afterwards was like, I don't think I really heard anything. Um, our fans were great. They put on a real show. They were just trying to encourage us and all that sort of thing. It's just like, you're just enabling this minority, essentially. When, when you look at what can happen in disciplinary measures, one of the questions that people ask a lot is, why is it not possible to identify the people doing this, eject them, ban them, etc.? That's what Max Allegri said after the game. Right. Max Allegri says, well, there's a will to do it. So I've actually looked into this. So you can, obviously, I mean, like you go to Moscow, they've got facial recognition software, blah, blah, blah. You can actually pinpoint. The problem is is that under the legal system in Italy, it's extremely, extremely difficult to then, it's, it's easier to ban people who you suspect will engage in violence because you basically, you have to prove that this is actually what they were saying. You can't just, you know, when, when you own your own stadium, you can say, I don't like Hoincast, I don't like these long hair hippies, he's not coming in, right? right. My stadium, my, my rules. But these are public stadiums and so, just legally, it's a very long and difficult process to do that. You know, in a perfect world, you can make it quicker. But right. what he can do, uh -huh. what Giulini can do is say like, okay, these are the 10 people that we've identified who were racially abused them and they're not coming back. You know, he could take a more proactive stance and he does not do that. Okay. And, that, and that's, is it's got to come from him as much as it comes from the authority. You're going to do a Bonucci now, James. It's like, I just really want to talk about the game. I really want to talk <laughs> about the game. No, but Bonucci, you know, it's that's because Kane is how old is he? 19? 19. 19, having this incredible this season. Captain. Really disappointing. A really senior he, figure yeah. at Juve in the Italian game. And no, for Max him. Max Allegri was right when he just kicked this, this doofus out after Cardiff because there's obviously something wrong with him. And I don't know if it's like it's been since he lost his mental coach or, or whatever, but this guy's a walking liability in terms of PR. And I don't care how much Mourinho goes on about like, oh, it's like going to Harvard when you play against him. No, it's not. It's a guy who's getting older, who's not what he was, and, and who, who's also behaving and, and opening his mouth and clearly talking without thinking. And, and I assume that's what it is. I'm assuming he's talking without thinking, not understanding his role. I refuse to believe that he actually really believes and embraces what he says. He's hoping that something will be done. So do you want to talk about the game then? Because Kane is on this incredible run. Just unbelievable. The weekend, it was him who scored. 
when Juve were struggling to get past Empoli. That was interesting, James, because I anticipated he would start that game. And that was because Ronaldo had picked up an injury playing for Portugal against Serbia. But team sheets announced and you see Paolo Dybala in it with Mario Mandzukic. And then Paolo Dybala suffers an injury in the warm-up. And still, Allegri didn't decide to, to play him. And this, again, just makes it great for Ken is that he comes on. It's nil-nil. Juve have been outplayed at home by Empoli and he's the one who's the difference and scores the winning goal. Mm -hmm. And now I think, well, it doesn't become difficult to drop him, but before that game, Allegri had said, you know, you're all getting carried away in the media. You know, he's not Messi. He's not Ronaldo. Bizarrely echoing kind of what Spalletti would later say about uh, <laughs> Mario Cardi, yeah. but trying but to keep his feet on the ground. What's he on like six goals in six at the moment yeah. across club and country? Fantastic. Anyway, well, he's hoping that these scenes don't get repeated and they, they don't, spoil what is a glorious moment for him elsewhere now there's a whole bunch of games that are going to be going on this evening but the top four race is in an interesting position Roma got thrashed 4-1 at home by Napoli at the weekend yet another kind of worsening of the situation between their president James Palotta and and the players yeah, and to be honest I thought the person who had the most telling things to say after that game was Costas Manolas who reference the fact that Roma have had 41 muscle injuries this year hmm. and they're, they're never able to basically put out a fit team the guys who uh, get healthy they then suffer a relapse and then another relapse and they're like you know we're just not going to get fit this year the day that Di Francesco was sacked and Monchi left they also got rid of the kind of head doctor physio there's some real problems. This Ranieri said in, in his press conference before the Fiorentina game, Abbiamo bisogno di un farmacista in questo momento. We need a pharmacist, but yeah. not like that. No, no not, not, yeah, not, like not that. in the not Zen Examen. Not words, <laughs> you know. he might be right. So Roma, who slumped to seventh in the table, ahead of their clash with Fiorentina. The team who beat them 7-1. <laughs> yeah, in the cup. The team who last weekend put on a 50th birthday for for Gabriele Battistuta, wow, and yeah. uh, 6,000 people turned up. <laughs> Amazing scenes there in Florence. You see his cake. I didn't. What his did cake it? was like five tiers. He needed like a, I don't know, a shimitar to cut it. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Anyway, now, not a good weekend for the Milanese. Sampdoria beat Milan. Defrel scoring after a classic Donnarumma era, who basically passes the ball straight to him. Yeah, after, what, 30 seconds? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a mental lapse, but I I want to stick up for Donnarumma a little bit. I was looking at this. Just look how old he is, Donnarumma. Yeah, what is he? Twenty one now. He's twenty. Twenty. He's still twenty freaking years old. He's played more than a hundred games. It's I, wow. It's it's absolutely demented. I don't. I mean, I don't know how many other goalkeepers have played this has played this many games at such a young age. And, you know, he's at a club and, and there's pressure. And, yeah, I, I worry less when people make errors of concentration, like especially in, like, the first minute of the game. Mm. Because I figure that's something you can pretty easily iron out. You mm. just say, hey, head in the game. Son. Right. I mean, it was Carius-esque. That, that, I think that's the worrying thing because it's something that I think people felt he'd put behind him. Yeah. Milan then followed it up with a 1-1 a draw against Udinese. Piontek opening the scoring, but then a brilliant uh, lasagna goal on the counter. Lasagna on the counter. Brilliant <laughs> <laughs> really counter-attack. Yeah. Yeah. Stefano Caca, Fofana to lasagna, who 
who I I love the way I I thought oh my god when when I saw him it looked like he miscontrolled the ball I thought like, yeah. alright this idiot's gonna put the ball over right and instead he somehow like recovers it in one he managed to just kind of control the ball and finish almost in the same move I don't know how he did that let's be fair it's Kevin Lasagna so it's probably incredibly lucky but what a counterattack to that stage mm. and and how good was for fun and it reminded me mm-hmm. actually if I can reference the Premier League. It reminded me sort of contrast Fofana with Musa Sissoko because that was almost the exact same situation. You've got one defender in between and Fofana manages to get the ball across, possibly also because the central defender wasn't Virgil van Dijk. Um, and they scored. Indeed, they did. Also, it are now managed by Igor Tudor, who's back. Yeah, he kept them up last year and then didn't get the job on a permanent basis and they've called him in to, to rescue them again. They, they scored a great counter-attacking goal in the win against Genoa at the weekend as well, which Okaka who's been a good January signing for mm. them, um, put away. Milan losing a bit of pace. Lazio, who beat Inter last Friday, gaining ground, and, and they have a game in hand as well. Inter themselves, who are they playing this evening? They are playing... Is it Genoa? Yeah, yeah Genoa, right. In Genoa, yeah. And it, apparently, I mean, here's where we come on to the whole Icardi thing, because after I the one... This man. <laughs> after the 1-0 defeat, I'm not laughing. After the 1-0 defeat on Friday in which Icardi didn't play, but at least he was there at the San Siro to, to, to watch. Uh, the manager, Spalletti, comes out and does his post-game comments, and Gab, he says what? Well, first, let's rewind, uh-huh. right? So for people who don't know, I think we, we, we referenced this. There's a whole bit. The guy loses the captain's armband. All of a sudden, his knee hurts. He disappears for a while. He doesn't train because it's all whole thing's a freak show. Inter get into this sort of what they call the a negotiation with uh, with a lawyer representing Icardi and Wanda and Wanda Nara, and eventually everything gets resolved about a week ago. And sort of on Wednesday or Tuesday, he, he comes back into full training. He's got five five days of full training with his teammates. You figure, okay, he might not start the game but he'll be in the squad, which also is what... because over the international break, Lautaro Martinez has got injured. Yes. So they have to play, you know, Keita Baldi, you know. Uh, Spalletti, though, and this comes out, the, the reconstruction, Inter, of course, an incredibly leaky club, so we can we know this is right. Everybody's back. It's the day before the game. They're all in the video room watching video. And Spalletti says, hey, Mauro, you have something to say to your teammates. And he says, like, no, I, I think we already cleared everything up. Ooh, big mistake, violated code of football man. So he decides he doesn't get to play. Now, up until this point, I'm with him. I think it's a stupid decision. You know, it's not your club, Luciano. It's it's Inter. You know, why don't you trust Javier Sanetti, all these other people there? But whatever else. You decide not to play him for He's the manager. He's the manager, sure. There you go. They lose. They stink up the place because they played really badly as well, something we've all kind of forgotten against freaking Lazio. And then after the game... He's naturally asked about Icardi being dropped, so he kind of explains that it was a humiliating, it was humiliating negotiation. He didn't see. It's humiliating for me to negotiate with a player for him to put on the jersey. Humiliating for the club to negotiate through a lawyer. Right. Yeah. All right. Fine. You made your point. Um, He said also my credibility is at stake here as a manager because which of the other players who have been with me all through this time should I leave out for Icardi? Any one of the six or seven. Any one of those guys. <laughs> Sorry. Right. But, but right. no, but, no but, 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 but this is the thing, and I, 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 can, I can't emphasize enough from the club's perspective because I right. think it explains what happens afterwards, uh-huh. right? A normal person in that situation says, right. 
I'm the manager. It's my call. I yep. felt he needed to be punished further yeah. uh, out of respect for my credibility, teammates, all this other twaddle. Um, and so I made my decision. He's available for selection on Wednesday. You'll find out if he plays. I'm not going to talk about this anymore. This is how a normal manager behaves. You're still shown what a big man you are. You're tough. You're the manager. You're in charge. You've still punished him. But you end it there. But no, Luciano Spalletti cannot end it there. He's incapable. He then goes on and on and on. He says, you're asking about Icardi. Well, what, you know, it's, 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 a question, it's a question of respect. He brings up all this nonsense with, about, about the humiliation. He mentions... Boy, journalisti. Yeah, he, he blames the media <laughs> as ever. He says, well, you know, we're talking about Icardi here, and this will become very relevant. We're not talking about a guy who's a difference maker. He's not Messi. He's not Ronaldo. <laughs> oh, gee, really? And, uh, you know, Inter have lost games with Icardi uh, as well before. And, and Six so years on. we didn't get into right. the Champions League with yes. him there. So but, everybody at this point predicts, oh, look, Luciano's on the warpath with right. Icardi. His credibility's at stake. So cut yes. to two days later. Icardi will start <laughs> on Wednesday. And what is he It's not Icardi will start. In the context of Inter, Icardi is more important than Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo put together. This, this climb down from Spalletti. Yes. So here, here is a guy who basically has said, if I'm to continue as manager, if I'm to ha- command the respect of these players, I need to take a firm line with Icardi, which I think you can say, for example, if you want to take uh, the comparison with Arnautovic at West Ham, for example, I think there might be West Ham fans who think, I, I wish Pellegrini would take a similar view with him. But then two days later to say he's even more important than Messi and Ronaldo. This is the... Uh, he, he, pours, he pours gasoline on the fire after the game. And, and I'm sure what happened, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I think we can confidently say that somebody at Inter took him aside, or certainly this is what should have happened, whether it's Marotta or whoever, and said, listen, you're not helping things. Okay, we gave you wide latitude. You want to punish him or whatever. Let's face it. You're not really going to be here next year, are you? So and he won't. take whatever decisions you want. But be consistent and don't dump all over this guy after we've gone through six weeks of hell right. dealing with him to go and, and go and, and sort this out. Right. You know, to- we thought he was the crazy person at the club. Right. Now we find out the the, 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 the population of, of, of loons has doubled because, you know, you're he's this far away. He's this, this yeah, far away the amazing from, thing from, from was After that astonishing kind of press conference, that Sky Culture Club ends and Tiki Taka begins with Wanda, sat on the sofa again, being aware of what Spalletti has said. And what does she do? She's just like, Maro's fit and healthy. He just wants to do what's best for Inter. And basically, I felt, made Spalletti look... I mean, Spalletti had done a very good job of making himself look stupid. But then for Wanda to come across as the sane one... Um, Wanda's was... the adult here. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, okay, I have two questions then. One is, what happens now? Because in the meantime, the third member of this triangle the fans have made their position extremely clear with banners saying uh, Icardi Vatene and uh, we, an official communique from the ultras of, right, saying we don't after, want him here after an um, internal meeting yeah okay and the <laughs> second question I should question, point out though the ultras put this out before they heard Spalletti's mm. comments uh-huh. I mean if I were an Inter ultras leader which I'm not I would say okay um, by the way, everything we said for Icardi goes for this doofus as well. Right. Because we need to but have somebody who's, who's as a modicum of consistency. That leads me on to my second question, which is, if Spalletti's not there next year, who will be? Because there are various suggestions ranging from 
A man who was sat on the well, interlegend bench last... Uh... Ah, Francesco Toldo. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, the suggestion is Jose Mourinho, who was who was uh, Toldo's assistant. Well, also, Antonio Conte's been mentioned. Conte, yeah. if I were Conte, I'd be looking at that and thinking, yes, OK, Marotta's there, fantastic, but do I really want to get em- embroiled in that mess? I don't know. And if, and if you're into looking at Mourinho, you're like, careful what you wish for. Do we really want to bring him back? And I think even Mourinho, you know, it's inevitable that the two are going to be linked or whatever. But I think even Mourinho is like, my God, this is the only club I've been at where I would be welcomed back with open arms. Do I really want to go and, you know, potentially tarnish my legacy? Because if he goes back, he will always be compared to the guy who delivered the treble. Imagine Mourinho dealing with Icardi. Be, that's something. Well, maybe maybe it would work, but maybe we'll we'll never find out. But pack midweek in City out that we're right in the middle of an even more action coming your way this weekend. There are six games live and exclusive on Premier Sports, including the massive one at the Allianz Stadium, Juve Milan. Excitingly, Premier Sports have extended their offer to all you Golazzo listeners, which now runs until the end of April. You can head to premiersports.com, enter the official code Golazzo, that's 1L2Zs, and you can enjoy Premier Sports via Sky and the Premier Player completely free for an entire month. And then all you have to pay is $5.99 a month till the end of September. It's also available on Virgin TV and TNCs. Do apply. Go to premiersports.com for more information. Among the other fixtures, Sampdoria taking on Roma, you've got Lazio up against Sassuolo, and then the Nerazzurri against the Nerazzurri. Atalanta, who are once again flying, and of course, Atalanta, the team that beat them 4-1 in the uh, earlier meeting. Gasparini loves nothing more than to basically go back to Inter and say, you were wrong about me. There's so much to look forward to. Now, next week, we've got another special Galazzo for you as we take a trip slightly further back in time to 1983. Interesting. Gab, you'll be with us for that? Yes. Excellent news. And James, you'll be there too? I will indeed. Nice one. So, listener, make sure you join us on Galazzo next Wednesday. For now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production. And for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>